most of my ministry life, probably all of my ministry life, actually, except for a couple of missions trips to urban places, has, spent, has been spent in very rural places. I went to Moberly for college, grew up in Cairo, which is a rural town in and of itself, uh, moved to Illinois, lived uh, outside of Quincy, and kind of, that's the most urban place I've ever lived, is near Quincy, Illinois, and then lived in the country for 10 years in Illinois, and then 12 years here in Miller County in, in Eldon. And, and one of the things that I have found out quickly moving into rural places that there's a difference on how you give directions in a rural setting versus in an urban setting, right? In an urban setting, they give you what? An, an address, and you go to the address, but that's not the way it works here in, in the more rural settings of our, country, of our world. Um, it's, it's, it looks a little bit more like this. Take a look, if you would. What's up, man? How you doing? Let me figure out the best way to get you there. This way will get you there quicker than a jackrabbit. I reckon y'all get there around quarter or two. Quarter or two? Is that 2.15? The phone says 1.45. A piece down the road. You'll see an old church that's now a shelter, and then two churches catty corner after that. Okay, be on the lookout. How far is a piece? At the second red light, take a right. Wait, was that was that the second red light? You done gone too far. Hang on. Oh, great. We passed it. All right, y'all stay on this road, then take a ride at the fork after you pass the Wilkins place. Otherwise, you'll have to grease the wagon twice before hitting the main road again. Okay, right at the fork. Done. You'll think you're lost or leaving the country. Turn right just before you get to the shale. Or is it a chevron? Pretty sure it's a shale. Place we used to go to sometimes to get slush puppies. Last time you had a slush puppy. Take a ride up there and your destination will be just over yonder. Over yonder? How far is that? It says it's a hop, skip, and a jump away. destination is over by where Chuck and them live. Oh, come on. You done gone too far. Hang on. Never mind. You're good. That could be Alabama. That could be a great deal of the rest of the middle of America, probably, as well. Uh, but I've, I'm thankful I've lived in this place long enough that I can begin to do that. Remember where so-and-so used to live? I can do that. I lo- that was a, a marker in my life when I could begin to have those kinds of conversations with, with the locals. And so, um, so we're thankful. But directions are very, very important, right? Having good directions, the ability able to get to a place is so crucial, right? And a lot of frustrating things can come into your life when, when directions go badly and you just don't know, I, I don't know how to get from where I am to where I want to be. And the ability to do that is, is crucial. Well, last week we began a sermon series called Hidden Blessings. And it's, it's a little study here we're doing on, on Psalm 119 which is the longest chapter in your Bible. It's a chapter that represents a, a basically a, a um, going through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet, all 22 of them, making a little eight-line eight stanza paragraphs of, of saying, this is how great God's word is. You see, as, as a follower of God, we're people who believe that God has spoken into the world through his word. And we look to this word, and we believe it's given from God for our good to take us someplace. Ultimately, in the big picture of eternity, it's meant to say, how do I get from where I am to heaven through Christ? But it's true on that level. It certainly gives directions on on a large scale for your life, on, on the big picture issues of life. But I love the Bible as well, because on daily things as well, if you take it from the big picture, just a small day-by-day living, the Bible is so rich on giving you directions on how do you handle those day-in, day-out things. How do you handle that difficult person at work 
or school? How do you deal with uh, situations in your family or in your marriage or in your church or in your community? How do you deal with just your own personal character issues and, and walking through life? The Bible is so good. If, if you read it regularly, you're going to begin to find direction. One of those hidden blessings is it gives you direction to say, hey, this is step by step how you need to, to live in order to get to a place where your life will be good, your life will be a blessing to others, and ultimately, it, it gets you to heaven. And so we, we've been unpacking this whole idea that Psalm 119 verse 11 says that the importance of God's word is not to just read it or have a Bible, but the importance of God's word, as it says in this verse, is, is this, that I have treasured or I have hidden your word in my heart. It's that idea of hiding it, putting something away for a special, special occasion. And I had a funny, I guess it was funny, on Friday night, um, I was at some ball games with some kids and uh, came home and it was late and um, I just didn't, wasn't ready to go to bed yet. So I stayed up watching TV, eating a peanut butter sandwich for supper and chips, which is the life, right? And so uh, enjoying that and, and I laid, came in as like maybe you do, you just kind of put your stuff everywhere. You just don't want to deal with putting stuff in the right place. So I'd laid my keys here, my coat here, and put my wallet somewhere and could not find it for the life of me. So Saturday morning comes and I get up early to see what the weather's going to do, if we're going to do upward and things like that. And we were going to have it and so I could not find my wallet anywhere. And so I searched and searched and searched, but apparently I'd hidden it so well I couldn't find it. Um, and so I went, I drove illegally, sorry if there's any police officers present, I drove illegally to the church twice, to Walmart once, so there's my confession, could not find my wallet anywhere. And so finally I texted Bobby Joe, I had worn some jeans that had kind of lost their zip, so they were getting a little baggy, so I said, would you please bring my belt to with me when you come to the church? And she said, I will do that, would you like your wallet? I said, oh, you found my wallet, where's my wallet? She said, it was under the bag of chips. So like, there's, there's the life of a loser when you lose your wallet underneath the bag of chips that you're eating late night on Friday night, okay? And so that, if, the idea of hiding something is for a later purpose is a noble thing, right? And one of the rich things about walking over a long time with God's word is that there's just things that just get hidden in your heart, verses, wisdom, truths that you think, man, as you're going through stuff in life that, that God, when you've hidden, in your word, hidden his word in your heart, God and his spirit can kind of draw those things out of you if you've hidden them. And, and so there's no magic verse, there's no magic verse, the sermon, there's no magic thing that I could say, hey, if you just learn this, it's always going to help you. But just like a daily meal, the Bible oftentimes talks about God's word as being bread for us. Just like a daily meal, a daily thing that you intake, you may not appreciate one meal, but boy, they just add up and they just feed you and they keep your life going. And so we've been started this series last week just thinking, walking our way through a little bit of Psalm 119. Um, and I'm excited. If you were here last week, I know last week was kind of a bad weather day, but, but we challenged and offered uh, folks in the church to take a four-verse seg segment of Psalm 119, which has 176 verses in it, a big old chapter. But together as a church family, we're going to, in two weeks from now, uh, we're going to video uh, everybody, and we're going to have everybody at the church, we're going to quote Psalm 119, all 176 verses. So if you signed up last week and you haven't looked at it, the time, the clock is ticking, all right? It's time to get busy, time to get cracking on that, and, and learning those verses um, and, and doing that. If you didn't get a chance to do that, I'm, I'm sorry, we'll, we'll give you chances, because I think this is a thing that we want to do this year, is, is the practice and the study of just memorizing verses that go along with the things that we say and that we do up here, because for 
me to get up here and say it is fine, but for you to learn it and to memorize it and to hide God's word in your own heart is the thing that's going to take God's word to a new level in your life. And so we want to encourage you, and I'm excited for two weeks from today when we get a chance to see that. Hopefully, it all comes together perfectly better than me finding my wallet, okay? And so that'll be a good, a good thing, all right? And so today, I want to look at a, a segment. There, like I said, there are 22 eight-verse stanzas or paragraphs in this whole long chapter. And I want to move forward a few verses to verse 33. I think it's like the fifth or sixth Hebrew letter that uh, starts with the letter H, okay? And I'm gonna, you're going to be really smart when you leave here today because I'm going to teach you a Hebrew letter, okay? It's a really hard one to say, and you probably said it before you even got here to church today, but it's the letter, if, I'm put the, go ahead and put the first verse up here, would you, there you go, you see that little thing up in the corner there? That little, he has a Hebrew letter, right? And so you're going to be smart here, but the word, the letter actually is pronounced hey, all right? So we're going to practice it. So you can leave here saying, you know, I may not have learned anything, but I know a Hebrew letter. I bet you don't know a Hebrew letter. It's the word hey, everybody. All right, wait, wait. If you go to a college basketball game, there you go. Do that again. You go, dun, 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 dun. Hey, very good. See, you learned a Hebrew letter today. All right, go give yourselves a round of applause for that. That's good. And so this is a Hebrew letter, hey. It's the letter, equivalent of our letter H. Um, and the, the, this is an interesting chapter because a lot of the Psalms in this this bigger this, this passage, they are reflective. They're talking about the value of God's word, but, but this is the only one that every stanza, every line begins with a petition. It begins with, God, would you do this in my life? And so as we read through this text, I want you to know that this is a, a prayer that you and I can very easily take and say, I want this to be my heart's cry to you, God. I want to know your word. I want to know you through your word in these similar, similar ways. And so we're going to read through this, and then we're going to process this um, in, a, in a way that I hope will help us as well. So Psalm 119, beginning in verse 33 um, and following says this. Let's say the Hebrew letter together. Hey, very good. That was less enthusiastic, but I need the cheer in front of it, apparently, to get you to say it loudly. All right, says this. Here's the, the first uh, imperative or, or, or request. Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Help me understand your instruction, and I will obey it and follow it with all my hearts. Help me to stay on the path of your commands. Go on, next one. If you would. Help me to stay on the path of your commands, for I take pleasure in it. It goes on to say, turn my heart to your decrees and not to material gain. Turn my eyes from looking at what is worthless. Give me life in your ways. And I highlighted that phrase because you're going to see that phrase, give me life, two times in this passage. And I think it's the heart of what, why do we want to know God's word? Not so I can be good at Bible trivia night. Although that's a wonderful byproduct. The answer is knowing God's word leads you on a path. It gives you directions towards life. He goes on to say, confirm what you said to your servant for it produces reverence for you. Turn away the disgrace I dread. Indeed, your judgments are good. How I long for your precepts. Give me life through your righteousness. And so he goes through those and eight, nine different times. He petitions God, would you please do this in my life? 
And so what's, what's he talking about? What is he really asking for in this passage? I think it's all tied to that little phrase, give me life. Twice he says it. Give me life in your ways. As I follow what I read, it produces life within me. And then give me life through your righteousness, something beyond what I can do for myself. You've got to give this to me, God. Um, and so what he's talking about is, is, is an interesting thing that I, I, I've appreciated in my own heart, in my own life this week. I hope you will be encouraged with it as well. You see, over time, uh, we change, don't we? Uh, there's been a thing, if you do the Facebook thing, and I'm not endorsing you or pushing you to do that, but if you are on the Facebook, uh, there's been a thing the last few weeks that has, uh, it's been this 10-year challenge thing. You like go back and find a picture from like the first picture you ever posted of your of your uh, of your. Uh, a profile picture, and then you look at yourself 10 years later, and it's just to show everybody how you've changed. And those that I've seen, you've changed. I'm not going to say it's better or worse. That's, a, that's not my judgment call. But we've changed, right? Time passes, and we change, sometimes for the better, sometimes not so much, right? And so change happens, and you think over the course of 10 years of your life, how have you changed? You're probably you're certainly hopefully richer in life experiences. I don't know if you're richer, but you're richer in life experiences. Life has happened, probably some pain and some hard things have chiseled and shaped you into thinking or acting or believing certain things in bigger and better ways. You see, 10 years of time changes us. And when I read this, this psalm, what I think it's inviting us to do is to realize that at, at the end of this, at the heart of all that we're doing is simply this idea that the passing of time, it can add to our life. It can produce something really, really good. I hope that if you look back at yourself 10 years ago, you think, man, I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm stronger in my character, or, or I'm better relationally, or I'm just better at what I do for a living. I've learned, I've grown over 10 years. But unfortunately, Time can also do difficult things to our hearts. Maybe I'm less tender-hearted than I was 10 years ago. Maybe my heart has become hardened because of struggle or pain or difficulty. Maybe I've become more calloused to God or to others because just life is hard. And so 10 years passing can, can do a great deal to your life for the good or for the bad. And, and so what I appreciate about this, this passage is I think it's reflecting on a man who already knows the value. You can put that number one back up here. He already knows that, that the end worth, there's an end worth, worth pursuing. Pursuing, that's what I'm trying to say. There's an end worth pursuing. Let's go back to simple phrases. Hey, there you go. There's an end worth pursuing. That's all I can seem to say today. And so there's an end worth going after. He already, this is a man as you read this, or a person who writes this, who has a firm belief a firm commitment, a firm, con uh, just uh, settle the place in his heart that says, you know what, the best place in my life, my life is at its best when I am walking in God's ways, when I am listening to God, when I'm following what he wants me to do, my life is at its best. And when I deviate from that path, when I walk away from that path for whatever reason, my life becomes less than. And so there's this firm conviction he has that there is this end worth pursuing, and that is God's ways. And so I love the picture of that. You see, when you read this passage, you find a person with a posture of real belief in God, but also of one of great need before God. 
Because what's he, what's he asking? This isn't a person new to faith. This is a person who's been walking with God. But he's still saying, God, give me life. Because daily I need that. Daily there's this struggle. There's this pull on my heart to go the wrong direction. He's simply saying this, that God, I believe in your way. And so show it to me in your word. I believe that your way is good for me. It is best for me. There is real life in loving you and in following your ways, God. I really believe there is no better direction that my life could take than to walk in your paths. But I also feel the struggle of my heart to follow that way. I feel the tension of trying to fit into the world around me and to follow its ways. I wrestle with the fear of of not fitting in or not measuring up in the world's eyes. And so God, a part of me longs to have and experience the best that the world has to offer me. And I fear that in doing that, I will lose the better way that you're offering me. And so God, I need you to lead me and direct me and teach me and help me and turn my heart and my eyes in the right direction. I need you to give me life, direct my life through your words. And so he comes and and he sees this beautiful pursuit, this end worth pursuing, but that leads to the second thing I want you to see and that's he also understands the struggle that wisely and honestly he embraces. He says, God, I know there's this best version of me that will be found as I just, I know you, I love you, I allow you to love me, and you shape my character into being the man or woman you want me to be. But I know honestly and wisely that I've got to admit that on my best days, I'm still struggling to stay on this path. I'm struggling to do what is right and to be right and to to walk in your ways. And so he comes and he says, God, would you give me Life. That word in other translations is translated in ways like this, renew me, or restore me, or revive me, heal me, save me, quicken me. So what's he asking? He's saying, God, I know the right way, I know the best way for me, but I feel the tug of my life to just go other ways. Maybe it's, we'll get to that in a second, but these temptations that just continue to try to lead me in the wrong path and And so there's this struggle that I've got to embrace this honestly and wisely to say, God, I can't just do this on my own. I need direction from you and from your word to do and to be what you want me to be. One of the gentlemen I listened to this week had a little devotion about this. I loved what he said. When you look at that little phrase, and by the way, if you're looking for this whole section, it's on the back of your sermon outline. If you want to mark and circle up things, I thought that would be a helpful way to do that. Um, But if you were to look at that phrase, give me life, What's that implying? When I say, would you please give me life, it's implying that I'm facing some kind of death, right? Something is struggling to stay alive when I say to God, would you please give life to me? It implies that somewhere in my life I'm struggling with something's dying. Something's not as alive and and vibrant as it once was, so give life to me, God. And so what's he losing? As you reflect on that passage, what do you think he is losing? Some people would say maybe it's an illness, Maybe it's physical. Maybe it's his physical body that he's fading away. And there are other parts of this psalm that kind of talk about that, but I really don't think that's what this is implying. 
Maybe it was the, the activity or the persecution of his enemies. And, and there is part of this where there's, there are other parts of this psalm where, or God, my enemies are attacking me and my faith is hard right now because I'm being attacked. I'm, I feel a pressure to conform and, and not be what you want me to be. And so would you please preserve me, keep my life? And, and that could be part of it, but I, I really don't think that's what he's talking about is the external pressure of persecution. I really think what he's talking about is a spiritual illness. It's a spiritual illness of heart. Maybe it's the idea of a person who has walked for a while with God and the newness is worn off and the, the normal has set in and there's just that stagnation that begins to set into his heart. And it seems to be the presence of that which is just goes against the life and the vitality and the joy that God wants to be working in his life. He says, God, there's these other things that are killing my joy. They're killing my love for you. They're killing my, my just delight in knowing you and obeying you. And so would you please bring life to my spirit, to my heart? And so I think the death that he's conscious of is his own waywardness and his spiritual decline. He feels himself fading away in some ways. He's aware that he's been going down a false way instead of the way of the faithful. So where does that come from? Where do you see that in the passage? Look at verse 39. You see a little bit of the pressure he's facing when it uses that phrase, turn away my reproach or, or take away the, the pressure, right? Where's that reproach coming from? It's probably coming from, from a world around him that, hey, to walk faithfully for God sometimes brings some reproach. People are gonna push back on that. And there's a part of him that says, God, would you, would you take that pressure away? Because I fear not following the way of the world. They're pressuring me. They use all kinds of things to make it very lonely to walk your way. And so God, I need you to, to preserve me in that, to take away that, that fear of, of not measuring up. But in verse 36, you also see this phrase, incline my heart away from selfish gain. So what's he wrestling with? He's wrestling with God. I, I see your way. I see your path. But I also see these other paths that are about advancing me, about enriching myself and, and just finding joy and all the pleasures and the things that I can buy and have, selfish gain. Verse 37, turn my eyes away from vanity or from worthless things. And so he's being drawn with his heart. His eyes are being drawn to say, oh, look at that. If only I could live there. If only I could have that. If I could drive that. If only I could have that kind of life. And that, there was maybe nothing wrong with that life, but if that life is taking you away from the life that God is wanting to feed you and give you and all of your energies are going to that life and not to this life, then, then the prayer needs to be, God, lead my life, direct my steps, turn my eyes away from worthless things that are just meant for the garbage pile or to be auctioned off or to be burned someday. Show me, turn my eyes toward the things that really matter. And in this context, it is God who has spoken. Turn my eyes to those kinds of things. Lead me back to that. Give life to me so that I might walk faithfully in this way. So he's concerned about two things. I didn't put this on the outline, but if you wanted to just jot them down. What's he struggling with? Where's the, the, the struggle? It's about love and fear of the world. That I love the world more than I love God. And that I fear the world's reproach more than I fear disappointing or falling short with God. It's about loving and fearing the wrong things. And so I think we all struggle with that on a daily basis. Who am I gonna love most today? A new day comes Monday morning. Who am I gonna love? Am I gonna love me? Am I gonna love God most? 
And those two things aren't separate things. They kind of work together. It's like in my daily decisions, am I choosing to love God? Or am I choosing to just love me and feed me, please me? And God, if there's some extra time, I'll give that to you. Or is it incorporating, you say, God, I want you to be first. And as I do all the things I do today, I want to do it for you, through you, with you. And so it's this love and fear thing um, that we wrestle with. And so that leads us to the third thing that, that he finishes with. And it's kind of, um, he asks God to take him to school, right? He, he says, God, there's this enrollment that changes everything in my life. There's an enrollment that changes everything. That when I enroll in being a student under God in his word, God, would you teach me? And in verse, the first few verses of the passage, teach me, Lord, help me to know, show me your way. I will keep um, them to the end. He's being humble. Say, God, I, I realize I can't do this on my own. I need you to teach me. I, I need you to lead me. Uh, and the curriculum is, is the way of your statutes and the way that you would have me to be and to, and to live and to love and, and to think and to speak and to serve. So he, he's asking God, God, would you transform me? Would you bring me underneath your tutelage? Because I come humbly. I come ready to learn and to be taught. Because my delight, the most important thing I could see in my life, is to become the man, become the woman that you want me to be. And so what do we do with that? Well, I would simply challenge you with this. Oftentimes when it comes time to read my Bible... I'm not always in the spiritual right posture, right? I'm sitting at a table. I've got my Bible. Maybe I have a pen in my hand. Maybe I have I'm going to underline something. But there's not a heart that says this. There's not a heart that says, God, as I open your word, help me to remind myself that there is a God who is overall, who has spoken into life. And as I read these words, this is you just trying to teach me and, and lead me and give me direction for my life through your word. So God, I come and my prayer today is, Lord, would you teach me? And Lord, would you help me to understand? Would you help me to stay on the path of what I read and to obey? Would you turn my heart towards your decrees? Would you turn my eyes away from worthless things? Help me to see the treasure that your word is pointing me to. Give me life in your ways. Give me life through your righteousness. You see, that kind of attitude as you open your Bible, if that's your prayer, man, how much more are you going to glean out of God's word when that's your posture? God, teach me, lead me, direct me, turn, me, turn my eyes away from anything worthless and, and focus me on what really matters. And so my invitation is for you just, just to stop. As you hold your Bible later, as you open your Bible to read it throughout the week, it's my hope that we wouldn't just do that religiously, just to check a box to say, I did it but that we might come with a humble, hungry posture that simply says, hey, I, I want this for my life. The best version of me is the God-filled me. The worst version of me is the me-centered me. And so God, would you teach me, change me, lead me, turn me in that direction. And so as you read your word this week, I pray that that's the posture that you will bring. And when you do, you will begin to find all kinds of hidden blessings begin to pour in your life as God directs your steps.